Hi guys, thanks for tuning in. This is the Not The Top 20 podcast, Monday podcast. Uh, we enjoyed Tuesday tapas last week, but it's good to be back uh, on a normal schedule. Uh, Scheduling is going to be a bit of a feature of this podcast because Sunday night, just as I was tucking into a, a brownie and a tea, uh, George, we had some pretty big news. The EFL dropped a statement on us surrounding the return to action of the Skybet <laughs> Championship. Fair to say that meant this morning we had to have a, an emergency phone call to work out how best to cover this on the podcast. What did we come up with? I'm just still baffled that you had a tea. I've known you for, <laughs> for you know about 15 years. You've never had a tea before. So yeah, we, we had a chat this morning and we, I, we had a couple of names thrown out there. We thought it'd be better to speak to people who maybe know a little bit more than us on this. And we've spoken to Matt Slater a lot, which is great. Uh, but we thought we'd spread our wings a little bit in terms of our access to athletic writers, of course, with Athletic sponsoring this podcast. And thought who better than Phil Hay um, to get on. Phil, of course, covering Leeds United for the Athletic, uh, but also kind of covering the story as it's been unfolding. So, um, yeah, we were lucky enough to be able to drop Phil a message and ask him to come on. Yeah, we knew that he was going to be a top man for the job because actually as soon as the uh, news hit and this just shows what it is to to be a staff writer for the athletic they were up and running with a sort of Q&A for people to comment with some questions it is a feature of the athletic site when there's big news or a reason to get together and, and have a sort of live Q&A that is something that they do often that's alongside of course uh, a ton of podcasts one of which we do the going up going down pod but the core product, excellent football writing, uh, and Phil is very much one part of a large team providing some magnificent content on site at the moment. So if you haven't signed up to The Athletic and you'd like to give it a go, you will get a seven-day free trial and 50% off your annual subscription, which makes it about two quid fifty a month. If you head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20, please do give it a go. Uh, we would fully recommend it, of course. Uh, and certainly you should be subscribing to the Going Up, Going Down podcast as well. But here's what happened when we spoke to Phil Hay earlier about all things championship football returning provisionally on the 20th of June. It feels a little bit, Phil, like people are accepting this as as sort of given at this stage. But just to touch on that word provisional, the EFL very keen to put that in bold at the top of the statement. Um, there are certain things that need to be, uh, shall we say, firmed up before we can say with absolute clarity that we'll have championship football on that date. There certainly are. The, the first of them being the virus itself. And, uh, and obviously the, the EFL are still um, expecting clubs to continue to test for the virus um, and will continue to, to publish the result for that um, and, and to allow us and, and them to keep an eye on, on how safe squads and staff actually are and, and whether the infection is spreading amongst them since the, the return to group training. Um, on top of that, the, the, the clearly are the safety protocol issues which clubs are going to have to adhere to when they do get round to playing behind closed doors again. And there is the, the added variable of your local authorities and um, police constabularies who are going to have a big say in how the games are managed and, and how the... the policed um, and, and clearly in the background there is still the question of whether or not some of these games are going to have to be played at neutral venues and that is very much where the local council and, and safety advisory boards and, and local police forces will come, come into play. Um, that is something that, that the EFL are, are going to have to work with and, and something they're, they're going to have to bend to really if um, if individual authorities or individual police forces aren't happy with the idea of games um, taking place behind 
closed doors at specific stadiums. Um, but I did think it was quite telling in the the EFL statement that it, it made specific reference to the fact that this is subject to local authorities allowing games to go ahead. And I think it's very clear that they, like the, the Premier League, want to make sure that the games are played at the right venues um, as they should be. And, and you know, I know that, that Leeds are, are adamant that they want to play their home games at road and, and want to play games at, at the venues where they, they should be staged. And I don't think anybody in the Championship would be rushing um, to take up neutral venues if, if it was an option. But you're right, that there are still some complications with this potentially there are still targets and uh, and factors that have to be met in order for the restart to come around but I think while it is a provisional date um, 100% people are now aiming for that as a, a very likely and, and very live start date. And before we get into uh, extra detail on this we're trying to provide as clear a picture on things as possible uh, each week now the, the speed at which things change has made that difficult it's fair to say and the rules on EFL governance and how they make decisions also uh, can muddy the water somewhat uh, we spoke this time last week about a, a vote on a change of framework now that vote we now know is on the 8th of June a lot of people were probably thinking when they saw this statement hold on I thought we were voting for a uh, something on the 8th. Why are they all of a sudden announcing its return now? This is where some of the confusion is arising, so bear with me if if you will. This is not a vote to curtail the season. Um, this is a vote effectively to introduce a rule which allows clubs um, and individual leagues to curtail a season on a points-per-game basis if they decide that that's what they, they want to do. The basic problem at the moment is that League 2, for example, have agreed amongst themselves, with very few exceptions, that they want to finish the season now and, and they want it to be decided via PPG. Unfortunately, the, the regulations um, have, have no way of addressing that because they simply don't cover this eventuality. Nobody's thought about this being a possibility, a pandemic shut down the season effectively and, and the EFL cannot push ahead with a, a points per game conclusion until it is in their statute book and, and is part of the regulations so on June the 8th you'll have a vote um, it, it is almost a, a meeting about a meeting or it's a vote about future votes but it is a vote to, to introduce this rule which will mean that if subsequently leagues decide that they want to finish early they will vote on that basis and they will vote using this regulation. Um, so that will happen very quickly for League Two because they've clearly indicated that they do want to finish. I think it will also happen fairly rapidly for League One because as it stands at the moment, there's no testing going on in, in League One. Um, there's no sign of, of a, a sort of mass return to training. And given that Rick Parry, the, the EFL's chief executive, wants the season to finish by July the 31st at the latest, um, I think they're out of time now to, to make that happen in League One. Um, so I suspect that they are also looking at, at points per game. Um, but given that you've had uh, the Championship clubs returning to group training last week and you've had them in, in the past sort of four or five days filling in risk assessment forms for a, a return to contact training um, ideally this week and, and given that we now have a potential start date of June the 20th you can tell that, that the Championship is, is full steam ahead towards a restart um, so they will not vote on that at this stage, they, they won't sit down and vote one way or the other on, on PPG. What it means is that the mechanism is there so that, that if come June the 20th, they're not able to start or if a couple of weeks into the restart, they're forced to lock down again, they will have a regulation that allows them to, to bring the season to mm. a conclusion under a different means that isn't effectively null and void. I mean, that to me strikes me as quite a key issue that's kind of being forgotten here because we read that we're going to see football in the championship resuming on the 20th. But you pick up a newspaper and you look at the front page rather than the page and we're being told by scientists that, you know, the measures are being eased too early um, and there's this assumption that things are going to be fine when we get back to playing football. And you look at today, you know, the chairman of QPR has come out and said that, that he 
um, Mark Warburton, the manager, and Les Ferdinand, the director of football, are, are appalled by the plans to, to restart on the 20th and the fact that they weren't privy to these plans before they were announced, only 40 minutes before they found out. So, I mean, is there a chance? We're all celebrating the fact that football's around the corner and we're all assuming that we're going to get back and, back and playing soon. But given you know, the wider context and maybe the kind of human repercussions, I mean, is there still a chance that there could still be some issues even getting to that stage in the first place? Very much so. I, I don't think you can be complacent about that. And and you only have to look at the, the COVID testing results from the Championship on Saturday um, that, that came before the announcement of the, the potential restart date to see that they do have to be very mindful of um, the way in which the, the infection could or, or is spreading amongst players and staff. And, and although it was a, a very small spike, and although you're talking about a, a really tiny fraction, a tiny percentage of the staff and players in the Championship who are being tested, it did nonetheless increase at the same time as the, the tests in the Premier League had, had dropped to a level of returning zero positive results, which is clearly very, very good news for them. Now, I, I don't know if the EFL has a magic number at which the number of tests would be a concern. I, I suspect it would more be a gut feeling um, of if they were to see a, a spike of a particular level about the fact that this was a problem and, and the fact that, that actually, for the safety of the players and, and other people at football club, they might have to think again. So you do have that as a potential hurdle um, if you know if, if infection rates, rates were to increase. And as I, I said previously, Previously, you still have the the issue potentially of of neutral venues and and of making sure that that the local authorities are happy for these games to go ahead. And you know, I I have personally felt at, at periods during this lockdown that that some of the desperation shown by football to to get going again has has not been particularly flattering for it and and has not shown a particularly good light on the game. But at the same time, I I do understand that that football, like a lot of other businesses, is starting to move now towards some form of resumption and, and clearly feels that, that it needs to do that. And I think because you know the, there is a framework in place for them to do that, because they are testing regularly and, and because they are employing protocols, realistically, it, it should be possible in the same way as, as it's been possible in Germany. But there's no doubt that, you know, health-wise, there are differences between the UK and, and Germany. There's a higher death rate here. There's a higher infection rate. Germany seemed to handle the virus in, in a different way um, to the UK and, and seemed to be further forward and, and better placed, really, to um, to move back towards um, competitive Bundesliga football. So there are risks, um, and I think that there is the potential for this all to come crashing down again. There's, there's no question of that. But at the same time, you just feel that the little steps taken forward, like the, the return to group training, the return to contact training, the the agreement of a day, well, I say agreement, I mean, clearly QPR are, are, are voicing dissent about this, but, you know, the the arrangement of a, of a restart date all being well, it does feel as if the hurdles that people thought they might hit when they started to, to push the boundaries a little bit haven't actually been there. And, and in actual fact, the... The like that that would have been there not to play don't exist as they did before, um, and you can understand why the pressure is growing for for games to take place, particularly when it's happening in in Germany. But I don't think anybody should should fill themselves into thinking that this is a simple process. And and just really for my own clarity, Phil, I, I asked you about the vote on the change of framework, which we spoke about next week. It's not hugely pertinent to the championship because of the desire of most of the clubs to to get going again, but. Do they have a say on the details of this restart? Do the clubs ultimately still vote on, yes, we will start again? Or is the resumption very much up to the EFL to impose uh, on the championship clubs itself? 
the the clubs need to support it. I mean, it's it's an impossible situation to move ahead if the EFL were trying to enforce a start date that that clubs are simply unable or, or unwilling to meet. And clearly, the likes of Hull and QPR can lobby. Um, the EFL, they can lobby other clubs, they can put their their opinion forward, but there still is um, an overwhelming desire in the league to play it out and to, to get the, the last nine games finished. And actually, QPR fall into that category as well. I don't think, if I'm reading it right, that, that the statement today was a, a, an attack on the decision to start restart per se. I, th- I think they seem unhappy with the start date, although I am slightly confused by that because it's not as if June the 20th is a, a date that's been plucked out of the air. There has been discussion about it. I, I think what had happened in the, the Championship was that because the EFL has, has generally been a week or a step behind uh, the Premier League when it came to testing, when it came to the resumption of group training and, and now obviously contact training as well, that the likelihood was that the season would probably start uh, a week later on top of that and and I know from speaking to Rob Price the head of medical at Leeds um, a month or so ago now the, the the wish in the championship was for them to have a good four weeks of, of, kind of intense contact training before the game started up just to offset the effect of so long away from, from the game I mean there, there are some players in the championship who've been away from competitive matches um, or even you know matches of all sorts you know, friendlies pre-season games whatever else for longer in this period than they ever have been in, in their careers and you know, it, it will have an effect on, on the body and we've seen in Germany that there does seem to have been a rise in soft tissue injuries which is Pretty, I think, pretty inevitable and 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 not a surprise. Uh, so they they wanted a, a a reasonable length of time in order to make sure that the players were up to speed and, and fit. I think the issue is that anything beyond June the twentieth makes it very very difficult to fit in nine match days and also to to finish off the playoffs mm. with semi finals and a final. They have have a lot of games to squeeze into this period and it goes without saying that one more stoppage at any stage will be the end of it you know they, they simply won't be able to accommodate that if they are going to finish by July the 31st and that date Phil is a bit of a hard stop isn't it because of player contracts very very much so I mean the, the player contracts are obviously going to have to be extended anyway those that are, are out of contract um, and we've had an issue today with, with Charlton saying that three players down there don't intend to play on because they, they clearly think that, that they will be going somewhere else and um but also you have things like UEFA wanting to get the Europa League and the Champions League finished and, and clearly plan for next season as well. So Rick Parry you know, and the EFL seem very, very set on July the 31st as the absolute cutoff um, at which this season has to be finished. And I do, I, I was just going to say, I, I suspect that the, the real gripe here is more with the communication from the EFL. I know that clubs had a, a half hour heads up on Sunday before the statement came through at nine and and it clearly surprised some of them and and you know in QPR's um in the instance of QPR they obviously weren't expecting the 20th to to be confirmed but I don't think that's the same as saying that they don't want to come back and play the games I, I think unlike Hull they definitely do but again it's just another it's another little spoke in the wheel and I think these are the these are all the little complications that turn by turn threaten to to kind of derail the whole plan you, you mentioned the kind of the muscle injuries we're seeing in Germany, uh, which is presumably because of the lack of preparation time um, and because of the intense nature of, of the scheduling. And you know, there's no doubt that if the championship comes back on the 20th of June, it's going to be pretty intense with, with five weekend games and probably four midweeks as well in order to fit it all in by the end of the, by the, end of the campaign. Um, we had Carl Robinson on this podcast at the beginning of lockdown saying that he didn't really understand the 
aversion to this um, scheduling, given that if you're a League One or a League Two side playing in a few cup competitions in November uh, or December, you're probably going through the same thing. Do you reckon there's a concern from uh, from coaching staff, from clubs, that they could be putting players at risk? You mentioned Lyle Taylor, who clearly doesn't want to play purely because he's concerned that an injury could prevent him from getting a move. And Leeds United, the club that you cover, Phil, of of any team, uh, probably the ones who who play the most high-intensity football and not necessarily the massive squad either. So is there a concern from, from, from the clubs as to whether they want to do this? Or is the need and the urge just to get the season done and dusted mean that that isn't really an issue? It certainly doesn't seem to be an issue at Leeds, which isn't to say that they're not concerned about the, the fitness of the players, but they kept them in a, a very, very high state of readiness um, for as long as the squad, the first-team squad were at home, and, and specifically for this reason, that, that they knew if a restart came, it was likely to come quite suddenly, and, and they would have you know quite a short window in, in which to prepare. I, I, I think that... The sense in which I would disagree with with Carl Robinson on that is that normally for a season you you have the process of pre season training and friendlies to to build up for the start of it, um, and it's it's a sort of, you taper your way into it um, so that ideally you you're in in very very good condition in, in August and and then you you've got the stamina and the fitness you need to, to carry you through. He's absolutely right that there are periods of the season which are almost if not quite as congested as this is going to be so it's not as if it's completely out of the ordinary but I think you are dropping players back in a, a little cold and and minus the the kind of core fitness that comes with um with playing matches regularly which must be the reason why we're seeing more injuries in Germany the two have, have got to got to be related so there will be clubs and there will be players who are concerned about that but I do get the feeling that that the division feels that it, it is in its best interest to finish, you know, there are a few lone voices out there that are contesting that idea. But as a whole, the the, the league wants to to get this done, and you know, there are other factors involved as well. There's the threat of having to pay a rebate to Sky for the broadcast contract if the matches don't go ahead. You know, you should never discount that as as an issue. And I think one of the reasons that this hasn't been overly flattering for football is that ultimately. For all the talk of supporters, integrity and prizes and everything else, it, it does generally seem to boil down to money as the, the key concern, which is understandable. But again, you know, there, there are areas of football which have a hell of a lot of money um, and it is difficult, particularly when you start talking about the very top level, um, it is difficult to elicit a lot of sympathy for, for that. So, yeah, I think I think the concerns will be there. I think clubs will have to monitor players very, very carefully and, and very closely. Um, but certainly in the case of Leeds, they are desperate to get going again. They really are. I mean, we've seen in Germany uh, that they've introduced a five sub rule. So, you know, instead of the three substitutes, you can bring on five players during the game. And I I guess the EFL will be very keen to ensure that, at least just for PR reasons, there isn't suddenly a deluge of injuries coming when when football comes back. The same in the Premier League as well. Do we know yet if there'll be any of these measures, you know, possibly bigger squads introduced, so more options off the bench? Will, Will there be measures introduced in order to try and prevent fatigue and injury? Well, they, according to the statement um, that came last night, they they want to increase the match day squad from um, squad size from eighteen to twenty, just temporarily for the the back end of this season, and also, like you mentioned, to allow for for five squads, uh, five substitutions, sorry, rather than um, than three. Um, but they will limit the the number of times that um, clubs are allowed to, to substitute. So, for example, you'll only be able to do it on three occasions during a game, which means that if you want to use five subs, there will have to be points in, in the match where you send on two players rather than, than one. And I think, 
you know, the, I, I'm going to watch this very closely with Bielsa because he never ever uses substitutions unless he has to. You know, he's, he's quite averse to them, and he prefers if his team's playing well to to leave um the leave the lineup as it is. He's not somebody who uses his bench to to any great extent, and I don't see this change of rule particularly changing his outlook um on that front. But clearly, you know, p- part of the the appeal of Bielsa's football is the intensity of it and what that intensity does is wear opposition teams down, you know, wear the, the energy in their legs and and it might be that Leeds see that as a small advantage for opposition teams the ability to to make more changes than they would have been before but at the same time I think five substitutions is is a lot and I, and I think by making that many during a game you, you kind of lose the, the original structure of your lineup, and I think there's a risk of losing the thread of your tactics and, and what you're supposed to do so I don't think that's a, a silver bullet in any sense but it does to my mind look like a sensible decision just to help everybody cope with what is going to be a really really intense run of games and, and I would be surprised if that was opposed by enough clubs for it not to pass. You've been sort of working out uh, I, I suppose reverse engineering the 30th of July playoff final that the EFL mentioned in the piece, trying to work out what that means for the end of the regular season. You're looking at probably the weekend of July the 11th or July the 18th for the end of the regular season. So, I mean, there's there's no doubt that we're looking at four midweek rounds of fixtures in the space of, you know, potentially consecutive weeks or maybe with one midweek uh, without a round of fixtures. Absolutely, which is why you know the talk of June twenty seventh as a start date was problematic. Because if you if you start to do the maths from that point, it's a struggle to see how you would cram all the games into the the weeks that are left. Um, I can't see from a, a June the twentieth start how they could finish um, the nine outstanding regular fixtures before the 11th. Mm. Uh, but equally, I don't see how they could go on much beyond the 18th if you're then going to try and factor in two two-legged playoff semi-finals and a playoff final on or around um, July the 30th. So my mm. my assumption would be, without knowing for sure, that, that we will finish at some point between um, July the 11th and, and July the 18th. But at the moment, there are still discussions going on about the fixture list, about how the, the fixture list is going to be structured when, when we do restart. That. And also, um, something else that needs to be considered is the, the picks that Sky want to make for, for um, broadcasting slots, which will obviously dictate a huge amount as well. So that is all fairly up in the air, but I think every, the one thing that, that clubs can be certain of is that they're going to have a lot of games in a, a very, very short window. One of my questions that I had left over, which I didn't feel had been answered yet, and that might be a matter of time, is, is travel uh, and accommodation for away games. Now, I'm not sure what you've heard, Phil, from, from what we assume and from what we have had more or less confirmed from what people within clubs teams will almost certainly have to travel on the day of a game on the morning of a game uh, in coaches and then back again after the game have you heard anything different to that no i think that's likely i mean this is another this is another example of how many different strands there are in this um, entire discussion and i know from speaking to another championship club not not leeds um, a good month or so ago that that at, the, at that time they said one of the things that was on the table and one of the things that was being debated was how were clubs supposed to play away games in in a way that was similar to what they normally do and follow the usual pre-match play? 
plan and, and didn't disadvantage them to, to any great extent. I mean, to take Leeds as an example, they still need to go to Cardiff. They still need to go to, to Swansea City. And their pre-match routine is is absolutely to travel the day before the game, to stay in a hotel overnight um, so that they're literally a, a 10, 20-minute drive from the stadium um, and then to, to travel home afterwards. And, and clearly to South Wales, you can fly, you know, you can you can um, private jet down there. But there is going to be the issue of hotels. Are there going to be hotels available? Are they going to, are players going to be able to to isolate properly if they use them? Are the hotels going to be clean enough? And these are, are crucial questions because if any of this goes wrong, then it, it is going to threaten to to derail the season there and then and, and it will you know essentially lead the EFL to be forced into a points per game conclusion and also I think if the Premier League and the EFL do start up and if, if they do decide that they you know it's safe enough that they that it, it is their prerogative to do this the seasons need to finish otherwise it's from a PR point of view it is not going to look good um, and it, and people are not going to look favourably at them if, if it turns out that actually this was a misjudgment and, and it was never going to work but I think for away games I think that's almost certainly going to be the case and for some away games that won't be a huge problem because they'll be relatively in the vicinity of the city that, that the clubs are, are travelling from um, but when you're talking about South Wales from Leeds or when you're talking about London from Middlesbrough um, you know all these long trips it, it is tricky um, and and it is an issue, and and you have to say that it is knocking clubs out of what the the usual routine would be. And I know that you have to expect some of that, and I know that that that's almost inevitable. But what everybody's looking for is the the kind of levelest playing field they they can possibly get, and and there are a lot of things that are threatening that. Now, Phil, we can't have you on the pod without doing at least having some Leeds chat, especially as the chances of us being able to talk about Leeds for much longer is pretty slim, because I think we can all agree that. They are destined to be in the Premier League finally fairly soon. Um, if anyone listens to this, you said that. <laughs> if anyone listens <laughs> doesn't already know, you can of course listen to Phil's weekly podcast on the Athletic, the Phil Hay Show for all things Leeds United. Um, I guess the interesting thing for me is we've spoken and we've seen so many clubs uh, with their Zoom training sessions, and we've heard of lots of players talking about their kind of the way that they are trying to keep fit whether that's you know Joe Lolly taking up running for the first time in his life or whether that's um, kicking a ball around in the garden with with their kids or, or whatever but given the you know the physical demands that being a, a footballer at Leeds United under Marcelo Bielsa um, entails do you can you tell us do you know what the players have been doing over the last 10 weeks it's it's been very intense for them. I, I mean, the the one bonus for them, um, if bonus is the right word, because they've been, you know, they've had Bielsa cracking the whip for for a long time now. But the fact that it has been a long time means that they are all very well conditioned, um, to his style of football and and very conditioned to the way in which he asks them to live. So strict diet requirements, strict fitness requirements, weight requirements, and and so on. So they were they were obviously supplied with equipment at home in the way that that most clubs will have done, um, for players, so bikes and weights and and mats and everything else. Um, but they, as usual um, at Leeds, they're required to submit their weight via WhatsApp every morning um, with, with kind of strict targets that they're, they're not allowed to miss. That's monitored very, very closely. And when I spoke to Rob Price, the, the head of medical, about this, he said that they decided at the outset that they were going to work them as hard as they could through this period because they did think there was a strong likelihood that, that football would return and they would be able to play the last nine games. And, and the last thing they wanted was to have players who were half-cocked or, or, you know, noticeably short of the fitness levels that they've been at previously coming back and trying to get up to speed with 
uh, with Bielsa's football because he will flog them at this point and he will work them very, very hard. And I know that that he is constantly he's all all he wants to know is when are we starting again um, and how far can I push the limits of uh, the of the restrictions that we're under when when it comes to training. Um, so I do expect them to be in potentially the the best shape of, of any side in the league. I, I I think it's highly unlikely that they'll be massively off the pace if at all um, when they come back. And I think that I think that might just pay off for them really they at no stage did they let it get into their heads that actually ppg was likely or that there was on you know it was improbable that there was going to be any football for five six seven months you know they, they've had their eye on a return in in june july right from the start um and it, it has been difficult at home i don't think it's been easy for them um and bielsa never never makes it easy i mean his staff in the interim rather than switching off or, or being able to to get a bit of a breather he's had them uh, doing projects studying european games looking at goals set pieces how you could have prevented goals how you could have you know what what was needed to score them in in the first place that they're constantly at it and he was you know he was dead dead set on a return on on may the 16th which was the the initial date that the efl set for a resumption of training 100% ready to go at that point and and i'm sure would have been climbing the walls in between before um they they started um for real on on may the 25th in in group training and um, but it's just little things have made a difference when he came to the club he, he insisted that he he would have changes made to the training ground um up at thorpe arch near weatherby um, and one of those changes was the installation of a synthetic running track which you know is, is quite unusual for a football a football training ground these days. It's not the sort of thing that many head coaches ask for. It's it's certainly not something Leeds have thought of installing before. But because of that, it meant that right the way through lockdown, the players could come and use it, so they could come up individually, um, not see anybody apart apart from wave through by security at the gates, but basically park the car, go onto the running track, do some you know hardcore running, back in the car and, and drive off. And that has helped a lot of them to stay in good shape. It's it's helped a lot of them to avoid road running where they live, which can obviously affect the knees and the, the joints and the muscles and, and everything else. Um, so little things have, have paid off. And it's funny because when I first heard about the running track... I, I had this vision, and I'm sure the players did, of them just getting flogged to death around it. But I think actually in this this lockdown, they've been very, very grateful for the fact that Bielsa insisted on it. That says a lot that the running track is almost a form of solace for, for some of these guys. says a lot about what they're asked to do uh, on the training field. Uh, I've got to ask, Phil, I know that the EFL is a little behind uh, the Premier League in terms of, of, uh, of detail on, on various bits and bobs. And we talked about at the top of the, the podcast, you know, the need for... Uh, the need for uh, the police to be sort of on side here, I suppose. Some Premier League games, uh, I'm led to believe, will be played at neutral venues, uh, big derby games, of course, uh, like uh, Everton-Liverpool. But also, crucially, I believe the game in which Liverpool could secure the title has been mooted uh, as a game that could be played at a neutral venue, which obviously takes away uh, a lot uh, from what that day means and what that trophy lift will mean. But... These are uh, uh, exceptional times. Uh, I'm sort of winding up to ask, and you, you probably see it coming. Let's say Leeds, in theory, and I know you won't say it, uh, are, are going to be promoted potentially as champions or, or as a second-place team. Uh, do you expect that that game will be moved away from Ellen Road because of policing concerns? It's possible, although I know that Leeds will lobby to keep the games at, at Ellen Road, and I know that they will they will quite happily pay whatever police bill is needed um, to make sure that that 
that that can take place. I'd also expect them to campaign pretty strongly to just to remind supporters not to, to turn turn out of the games, not to, to create potential security issues around the ground. I think as well, there is a difference with the Championship to the Premier League. In, in the Premier League, the, the, the game that everybody's talking about is the game when Liverpool win the title. And everybody knows that Liverpool are going to win the title. Everybody knows that below them, there are little bits and pieces at stake. And, and certainly there's still a lot going on um, relegation-wise. But you're talking now really about a battle for battle for fourth. Um, Manchester City aren't going to going to catch Liverpool. A lot of the issues, if, if not completely settled, are, are very close to being settled. Whereas when you get down into the Championship... You've got, I think, three teams who could still win win the title. Um, two who who look particularly well placed: Leeds and, and West Brom. You've got numerous clubs who could still get into the top six. Quite a few, you know, a couple who who could still drop out um, from the position they're in at the moment. And nothing is settled at the bottom of the league with regards to relegation. And I think the problem when it comes to neutral venues is going to be distinguishing between the games that should be moved and the games that shouldn't. And I don't just mean on on a security basis. I think on on a sort of integrity basis, there will be an argument that if game X needs to be moved then surely game Y should be played at, at a neutral venue as well because in terms of what's riding on the game there's no significant difference there is absolutely a significant difference in terms of the number of supporters who would turn up for example to or could turn up to a game um, where Leeds are going to be promoted as opposed to a game where for instance Luton were going to be relegated um, but at the same time they're still vital matches um, and I think that I think that's why it might be more complicated in the championship everybody's going to insist on some agreement which is fair and, and applies consistency to these these different games and I think to single out Leeds potentially winning promotion as the only fixture of note um, that needs to be played as uh, at a neutral venue would be would be wrong and I think they would they would certainly contest that attitude I mean this might be uh, just me looking in and getting it a bit wrong but I was thinking when I knew that we were talking to you today that if I was going to be in charge of a club on their way to the Premier League suddenly having the season cancelled uh, in mid-March when you're you know, nine points clear of, of, of the chasing pack uh, in the playoffs isn't a bad situation to be in because it gives you a little bit more time to take stock and to look at the squad that you've got and to maybe make decisions based on the fact that it's highly likely you're going to be going up to the Premier League. So, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen in terms of the transfer market in the next six months, 12 months, 18 months in terms of player value given that the, the effect of coronavirus and the financial effect it'll have on clubs, certainly in League One and League Two, will be pretty transformative in that case. But you'd think that Leeds have probably been working behind the scenes in terms of recruitment and in terms of looking at targets for, for, for next season, hoping to get a, a nice scoop out of you, Phil. Do you know, do you know if there's been any, any work going on um, in, in the recruitment side of things? Well, I'm told that the... Um, the, the, the uh, strategy and, and the targets haven't changed um, significantly and the thing about Leeds and anybody else who, who manages to go up from, from the championship is that unlike everybody, you know, clubs across other leagues um, who are looking at reduced income and, and everything else they stand to gain money um, from the fact that, that the income in the Premier League is just on a completely different scale to, to the championship so they will be in you know, a slightly unusual position in that they'll be 
even despite coronavirus and, and the, the shutdown and, and the consequences of that, they will, at least for a short period, feel relatively flush with, with the cash that's that's coming in. They do have um, some fees already to pay, though. They, they'll convert Helder Costa's loan from Wills into a permanent deal. Um, and and while they'll, they'll amortise the fee, as, as clubs always do, you know, he's, he's looking at 15, 16 million pounds for Costa um, all in. Uh, they've, they will almost certainly um, sign Jack Harrison from Manchester City. They won't activate his option. That's £8 million deal. Um, they want to sign Ilan Meslier, the young French keeper who came in from Lorient. Again, there is an option in the deal, the loan deal, to, to take him on, on a full-time basis. And, and on top of that, there is Jean-Kevin Augustin, a striker from, from Red Bull Leipzig, who um, who Leeds are obligated to sign if they do go up. And, and the fee in his case is going to be very, very substantial. You'll be talking closer to, to £20 million even than, than Helder Costas, you know, and, and, and in the, the ballpark of Leeds transfer record, which is still held by by Rio Um So yeah, I I don't think they'll I don't think they'll shift much. I th- I think there's another aspect to this as well, which is that Bielsa isn't big on the transfer market in the sense that he doesn't like to go heavy on it. Um, he, he certainly doesn't like to rip up a squad and start a game when it's working well. And and I've said right from the start that I think a lot of these players, if Leeds do go up and and Bielsa's here next season, will be given a chance. I I don't think his lineup on the last day of this season will deviate much too much from his his lineup on the first day of of next season. And whether that's going to work in the Premier League or, or whatever else is is obviously up for discussion, but it doesn't change the fact that that's the way he operates and and that's the way he he likes to work. I think in terms of whether the the shutdown has been beneficial, I, I would just remind you really that Leeds were on a run of five wins, um, having not conceded a goal in any of those games, and were, were starting to look extremely extremely strong. Had gone past seventy one point, uh, past seventy points up to seventy one. Um, and I don't think we're in the mood to, to call a halt and, and to wrap it up. But equally, because of the way they prepare and because of the way Bielsa um, pushes them, I think they probably feel like they might have you know a little edge on other sides when they do come back. In fact, talking of Jean-Kevin Augustin, you wrote a, a magnificent piece, uh, co-wrote, co-written rather, with Tom Warville, uh, who is the athletics sort of uh, data analyst guru, looking at... Augustin, a quote that I really liked uh, where you wrote, as a senior figure at Leeds, said in January, you're not just looking for players anymore, you're looking for Bielsa players and there's a difference. That that very sort of, uh, that suggestion has been at the heart of any debate surrounding Patrick Bamford this season and his contributions to the team uh, in terms of goal scoring and outside of that. I mean, I haven't seen a huge amount of Augustin. I don't think anyone has particularly since he joined Leeds, but in the piece you say that he should be raring to go fitness-wise, but as with Bielsa, you can never really second-guess the amount that a player will play or not. My big question to you is, based on what you and Tom discovered, do you think Jean-Kevin Augustin is a Bielsa player in terms of what he would expect uh, his number nine to to perform. I think he can be. I I, I genuinely do. And and we had a good look at his strengths and, and his weaknesses. And and there was a lot about him that tapped into the the aspects that make um, Bamford very effective as a as a centre forward um, for Bielsa. The thing about strikers is that when it comes to Bielsa, it is pointless looking solely at um, the finishing or or the goal scoring because. In his head, while that obviously matters, and and you know, expected goals ratios has been a constant theme throughout his time at Leeds. Leeds don't score enough goals compared to the number of chances they create, and he knows that it's something he's he's not been able to solve, and it, it almost feels as if it's something that he's never going to be able to solve for for almost for some 
unknown reason that none of us can quite put a finger on. Everything else is just about perfect, and that never that never quite happens. But he is not interested in a penalty box striker, and, and I accept that they don't kind of exist in the way that, that they used to um, 15, 20 years ago, but he's not interested in that type of type of player he wants somebody who will drop off to to help with um the link up play you know and um, in between the lines of the midfield and, and the defense he wants somebody who'll walk the channels he wants somebody above all else who's very very good at sparking the press and, and launching the press when when leads lose possession because so often the, the periods where leads are dangerous is is in transition um when they nick the ball and, and attack it at pace and they're very very good at, at doing that so if you come to Leeds and if you want to be a number nine for Bielsa, you, you have to conform with what he wants to do. And, and he doesn't bend on that. He doesn't make compromises. Um, and I think even with Augustine, even though um, you know, it was a transfer that was approved by Bielsa in January, a transfer that Bielsa was very, very keen on, he won't be sold on Augustine until he's seen him train for a significant period of time, until he's seen him in his, his weekly murder ball sessions to, to get a, a feel for how uh, the, the level of intensity that Augustine can reach. And when it comes to running and sprints and, and just his, his general movement, once you get through that and, and once you tick Bielsa's boxes, um, he'll give you a chance and, and he will absolutely play in, or he will absolutely have you in his head until you get to that point. Us sitting at home or sitting on Twitter saying, yeah, but Augustine's a great finisher is completely irrelevant to him. It means nothing. He's not interested remotely in the idea that somebody who doesn't fit the system might come up with a great top corner finish out of nothing. He doesn't believe in in, in looking for things out of nothing, which is why if you go back to his time at, with Argentina, he was never big on Raquel May, who was such a gifted footballer, such a genius of a footballer, but just didn't conform enough. And, and you, you weren't able to program him enough in the way that Bielsa likes his, his players to be programmed. Um, so I... I wait with with great interest to see Augustine, and and something tells me that we might not see a huge amount of him, even though he is fit. Because as I said a little earlier, he's not big on substitutions, Bielsa, and he's not big at all on rotation. And there's no doubt that that Bamford is first choice. There's no doubt that that Bamford, when we we get back to playing, if if he's fit, will will start the games. Um, and it might be that Augustine gets a chance here or there, but. You, you may have seen the, the famous story of Robbie Gotts, the academy player at Leeds, being on the bench 35 times before Bielsa gave him his debut, <laughs> um, finally, away at Arsenal. And, you know, he was asked about this constantly, Bielsa, and, and he said, I do feel sorry for him, and I do feel a little like I'm humiliating him, or at least like I'm not, you know, I'm not doing right by him. But it it came back to the, the sort of central point, which is that I'm not going to give him five minutes on the pitch just so that he can say he's had his debut and he's played for Leeds. He's going to get onto the pitch if he fits, if we need him, and if there's a specific role for him. And the same will apply to, to Augustine. Bielsa just isn't going to play him because he feels under pressure from the crowd. He'll play him if, if the time's right. So much of him we'll actually see in the remainder of the season. I'm, I'm not sure because I think Bamford still carries the, the baton. But suffice to say, he would have played little, if at all, um, because of his injury, had the season finished on time. So, I mean, even if he does play, not many Leeds fans will be able to see him in the flesh, given that they're going to be behind closed doors. Um, but do you reckon you will be able to go to games when it all restarts? Are you going to be able to get in there and uh, give some of your famous match day tweets uh, when, when the ball goes in the back of the net from Ellen Road? 
I hope so. I, I, I actually sneaked in, I should say with the club's permission, but I sneaked into Ellen Road just to have a little look around earlier today. Um, just for just now that it feels like football's coming back, I just wanted to, to get in and, and just have a little look at the pitch and, and get a feel for the, the place again. Um, I, I think it's likely for home games that, that we will be able to. I think beyond that, that, there needs to be a lot of discussion about this. And I don't think clubs will be averse to, to journalists coming in, but I think they will want to restrict the numbers that do, um, and we'll need to see how how that falls. But I mean, I'm I'm fairly philosophical, and and I'm I'm happy to be dictated to in the sense that we've all got to we've all got to be sensible. There will be other ways of of accessing this. So I think if you know if, if attending the games is an option, then I'll 100% be at the front of the queue. But um, if it's not, then like everybody else, we just need to suck it up. Well, we'll know the football is back when the first time we read one of your goal tweets, Phil, that's for sure. Um, anyone who hasn't read Phil's stuff on The Athletic can only recommend that you do so. Um, been a brilliant voice throughout this coronavirus uh, story as it's unfolded in the EFL and, and providing brilliant, brilliant leads coverage as well. If you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20, there you can get seven days free or a 50% discount. Thanks very much for joining us, Phil, and looking forward to speaking to you soon, hopefully around a Leeds promotion. Thanks for having me on, guys.